Blog Talk Radio. And now, Geico Saving Stories. Russell Burton closed his laptop, having just switched his car insurance to Geico. He didn't think much of it until... Savings were everywhere. My pockets, uh, wallet, bank accounts. It was like the savings were following me. Following, indeed. All because of an innocent 15 minutes on Geico.com. I feel like I'm never alone. Geico. Spend 15 minutes and 15% or more in savings could be following you. K-I-R-P Radio! Thank you. 
K I R P Radio. Good evening. You're listening to the K R P Radio Show. Last. Good evening. You're listening to the K R P Radio Show. Last Friday night's for guest host Rocco P. Tonight we'll be discussing Thanksgiving. One day later, one day after the fact, after it occurred yesterday. If uh, you'd like to join the conversation, you may call 619-638-8559. That is 619-638-8559. I will get you on the air. Uh, this is a different type of show tonight. Uh, you just heard uh, you just heard a hymn. You heard a Christian, a Christian hymn, Count Your Many Blessings. I want to anticipate doing tonight is uh, reading a few articles. I'll start off with a satire piece from the Babylon Bay. Then I'll read selectively from two other pieces, one by Chuck Baldwin, one by Ryan McMacken of the Mises Institute. After that, I'll look at some secular research on gratitude and the uh, magnificently positive effects of uh, expressing gratitude, feeling gratitude as well as expressing it. And finally, I'll conclude the, uh, with a fair amount of time in uh, in the scriptures. So, again, it's a KRP radio show. Uh, again, KRP radio show. Again, last uh, last Friday night, some of your guest host Rocco P. Uh, First thing I'd like to discuss would be uh, again this uh, satire piece from the Babylon Bee. If you're not familiar with Babylon Bee, it is a fairly popular uh, conservative evangelical satire site. When I say satire, everything they publish is fake news by design. It's designed to uh, essentially poke fun at uh, different things. Uh, excesses in the church, problems within the uh, confessing evangelical church, as well as other things, uh, political and social in nature. But uh, Babylon B, if you want funny fake news, uh, that's where you would go to. It's one place you would go to would be the Babylon B. In, uh, in this B piece from the 27th of this month, it was titled Obscure Holiday Known as Thanksgiving Apparently Celebrates obsolete custom called gratitude. <laughs> With so many different cultures in the pod, it's hard for Americans to keep track of all the different customs and holidays everyone celebrates. But a little-known holiday celebrated this Thursday apparently celebrates an obsolete archaic custom called gratitude. Quote, apparently people used to be thankful for things, end quote, as stated by the fictitious Dr. Fred T. Mann who wrote his fictitious dissertation on the obscure holiday, they would say things, they would say what things they were happy to be blessed with, thanking some kind of deity or outside force for giving them things. It's unclear why there's not much to be thankful for, and who are we supposed to thank anyway? Everything good in our lives is our doing, while everything bad in our lives is someone it's someone else's fault, obviously. Man believes we've evolved past the need. I love that word, thrown in evolved. Man believes, the fictitious Dr. Fred T. Man believes we've evolved past the need to give thanks. And so the holiday fell out of favor. Quote, you can still 
see some people practice gratitude once in a while, but these people are backward and obviously privileged. According to researchers, Americans would gather around the table, eat food, talk with family members, and carry out a strange tradition called prayer, where they would thank somebody named God for blessings in their lives. The holiday was eventually replaced with our more advanced culture holiday known as Black Friday, where we, where we beat people to death to save $20 on a television set. And on, uh, on a non-fictitious note, it was uh, interesting to see Clark Howard, who, uh, uh, to the best of my knowledge, is not a believer in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, even when he, he made a short, uh, I think, two or three-minute Thanksgiving video, even he said he was glad that less retailers this year were being open on Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving night. So even he saw that from his from uh, his mindset, from his uh, from his worldview, from his perspective. He even saw it was definitely a positive development that less retailers were opening on Thanksgiving this year. I certainly didn't feel like shopping on Thanksgiving. Now I'm going to quote a piece, a real piece, serious piece from Chuck Baldwin. I, you may have heard me mention Chuck Baldwin before. Chuck Baldwin is a pastor. In, uh, in Montana, in uh, Kalispell, Montana. He had been a pastor for many years in, uh, in Florida. And I consider Chuck to be a legitimate political activist. He is, I appreciate really his work more as an activist than as a pastor uh, for a number of reasons. But in any case, I'm going to read part of what he put together called Thanksgiving in America. Chuck's, uh, Chuck's pieces could be found at ChuckBaldwinLive.com, ChuckBaldwinLive.com. The very first Thanksgiving proclamation rendered in this new land, that date was June 20, 1676. On this day, the governing council of Charleston, Massachusetts, held a meeting to determine how best to express thanks for the blessings of divine providence that had seen their community securely established. By unanimous vote, they instructed Edward Rawson, the clerk, to proclaim, to proclaim June 29th as a day of Thanksgiving, America's first. America's first Thanksgiving proclamation says in part, the council has thought meet to appoint and set apart the 29th day of this instant June as a day of solemn Thanksgiving and praise to God for such his goodness and favor, many particulars of which mercy might be instanced, but we doubt not those who are sensible who are sensible of God's afflictions have been as diligent to spy him returning to us, and that the Lord may behold us as a people offering praise and thereby glorifying him. The council doth commend it to the respective ministers, elders, and people of this jurisdiction, solemnly and seriously to keep the same beseeching that being persuaded by the mercies of God we may all, even this whole people, offer up our bodies and souls as a living and acceptable sacrifice unto God by Jesus Christ. The first Thanksgiving proclamation issued by the Revolutionary Continental, Con Continental Congress was on November 1st, 1777, and authored by Samuel Adams, at Samuel Adams at Reason Part. It is therefore recommended to set apart Thursday, the 18th day of December next, for solemn Thanksgiving and praise that at one time or with one and with one voice, the good people may express the grateful feeling of their hearts and consecrate themselves to the service of their divine benefactor, and that together with their sincere acknowledgments and offerings, they may join the penitent confession of their sins, whereby they had forfeited every favor, and their humble and earnest supplications that it may please God through the merits of Jesus Christ, mercifully 
to forgive and blot them out of remembrance, that it may please him to prosper the means of religion for the promotion and enlargement of that kingdom, which consisteth, which consisteth in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Remember, Sam Adams penned this Thanksgiving proclamation in the midst of the, of the Revolutionary War, when the sufferings for more were at their worst, and when the outcome of the war was very much in doubt. After the War for Independence had been successfully concluded, and the Federal Constitution and Bill of Rights had been adopted, a motion was made in Congress to initiate the proclamation of a National Day of Thanksgiving. Mr. Elias Boudreau, who was president of Congress during the American Revolution, said he could not think of letting the congressional session pass over without offering an opportunity to all the citizens of the United States of joining with one voice and returning to Almighty God their sincere thanks for the many blessings he had poured down upon them. Mr. Roger Sherman, a signer of both the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, justified the practice of Thanksgiving on any signal event not only as a laudable one in itself, but as warranted by a number of precedents in Holy Writ. This example he thought worthy of a Christian imitation on the present occasion, and he would agree with the gentleman who moved the resolution. The following is taken from the Congressional Record of the U.S. Senate, September 26, 1789. The House version passed on September 25th, previous day. Resolved that a joint committee of both houses be appointed to wait on the President of the United States to request that he would recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many and signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a constitution of government for the safety and happiness. This resolution was delivered to President George Washington, who readily agreed with his suggestion and put forth the following proclamation by his signature. And this was Washington's Thanksgiving proclamation. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and to humbly employ his protection and favor. And whereas both houses of Congress have by their joint committee requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer, to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety and happiness. Now, therefore, I do recommend and sign Thursday, the 26th of November, next to be devoted by the people of these states to the service of that great and glorious being who is the beneficent author of all the good that was, that is, or that will be that we may then all unite in rendering unto him more sincere and humble thanks for his kind care and protection of the people of this country previous to their becoming a nation, for the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable interpositions of his providence, which we experienced in the course and conclusion of the late war, for the great degree of tranquility, union, and plenty, which we have since enjoyed, for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been enabled to establish constitutions of government for our safety and happiness, and particularly the national one now lately instituted for the civil and religious, and religious liberty which we are blessed with which we are blessed, and the means we have of acquiring and diffusing useful knowledge, and in general for all the great and various favors which he hath, meaning God, been pleased to confer upon us. Given under my hand at the city of New York, the third day of October, in the year of our Lord, 
1789, George Washington. America's pilgrim and patriot forebearers led the country in offering continual prayers of thanksgiving to God. They genuinely believed that America's independence, independence, peace, and prosperity were due to a divine work of providence from the hand of a merciful, benevolent creator and redeemer. Of course, now I'm reading Chuck Baldwin's words. Tragically, the spirit of humility and thanksgiving that birthed this great country has all but vanished. When expressions of thanksgiving are extended, they are not rendered to a gracious providence, but to self-promoting politicians. And for the most part, politicians are not humble servants of the people, but conceding, but conceded conniving charlatans. They respect neither the natural laws of God nor the constitutions of the people who elected them. Even worse is the fact that many, if not most, professing Christians seem to prefer their politicians that way. But only people who are filled with the spirit of humility and gratitude can expect the favor and blessing of heaven. As one reads America's history, he or she must be impressed with the thankful spirit that commonly reside within the hearts of the great men and women who birthed and built this once free nation. Again, that was pastor and political activist, Chuck Baldwin. Then I'm going to read from part of a piece by Ryan McMackin. I don't know if Ryan McMackin is a believer, but he uh, he basically, his his piece is a good compliment to Chuck Baldwin. He kind of fills in the gap as far as how the holiday of Thanksgiving developed. Chuck, you know, was selective in quoting people that were Christians or uh, even Washington who may not have been a Christian, but... Uh, Certainly was a, uh, at the very least, a deist, and uh, he did believe in uh, he did believe in divine providence. Ryan McMacken's piece is uh, called "Politicians Want Thanksgiving to Be Political, Ignore Them." <laughs> Politicians want Thanksgiving to be political, ignore them. This was posted at Mises M I S E S dot org, uh, dated uh, November twenty seventh. Often, government created holidays begin with a good premise, that is, Independence Day. Armistice Day, and get worse from there. On that, on Independence Day, instead of celebrating armed rebellion and secession, we now sing the praises of government. Similar, similarly, Armistice Day, a day designed to commemorate the end of a war, became Veterans Day, a day designed to honor government employees. <laughs> Thanksgiving Day, on the other hand, appears to have moved in the opposite direction. It started out as a holiday based on a lousy premise, but over time, took on a life of its own, a life quite separate from the propaganda function it originally served. So there, you know, it's somewhat, I would disagree with Nick Mack, and I think he's a, a bit too cynical there. Again, you go back to, you know, the 1600s with, uh, you know, Chuck Baldwin didn't start out with anything about uh, about the Plymouth uh, colony. He started out uh, later in uh, you know, June 20, 1676. Goes back to Charleston, Massachusetts. So, but uh, McMackin, uh, McMackin didn't really. I, I guess he, he ignored that. Uh, it's not going back to McMackin's piece. It's not a coincidence that the federal holiday we now know as Thanksgiving started out as a wartime measure from Abe Lincoln. Again, he's wrong there. Obviously, as I quoted from Baldwin, it goes it's uh, prior uh, prior to Abraham Lincoln, who uh, both McMackin and uh, Chuck Baldwin would uh, know as know as except as a tyrant. They'd recognize him as a tyrant. Uh, when I said in passing, I've talked about Lincoln before. I don't want to get sidetracked tonight, but I just say the entire war between the states was really the war of northern aggression. There's nothing in the con in the federal constitution. Then there's nothing now that says a state can never leave 
the morality of the war between states would be like this. If two people enter into a business agreement and the business agreement said nothing about about either partner uh, not being able to leave and then one person wanted to leave and the other person said, no, I like the fact, I like the work you're doing that you give me profit. So if you leave, I'm basically going to shoot you. That's the morality of the war between the states. And again, Chuck Baldwin obviously did not mention Abraham Lincoln's Thanksgiving Day address. And of course, it, it antedated Lincoln. But Lincoln did, uh, as you know, super big government tyrant, you know, Lincoln, uh, you know, Lincoln jumped on that. And when I say super big government tyrant, I mentioned the Constitution. I would point this out too. If you believe the war between the states was moral, I would point out that at the conclusion of the war between the states, federal troops uh, occupied at gunpoint the state houses of the Confederate states. They had they had uh, beaten into submission, and at gunpoint they forced them to change every state constitution, including North Carolina where I live. And the change they wanted to make is they could never secede. Now, why did they want to do that? Because there was and is nothing in the federal constitution that says the state can't leave. So that's why at the end of the war. They did it at the state level to create the illusion that it was moral instead of, you know, if it would have been more overt if they would have just changed or amended the Constitution when the southern states had left. Instead, they tried to create the illusion that Lincoln had the high ground, and he never did. You know, he was a tyrant. In any case, uh, <laughs> to get back to McMagan's piece, it's not a coincidence uh, the purpose of Lincoln's Thanksgiving proclamation is more or less to tell Americans to pray for a union victory and to be thankful for the advancing armies and navies of the Union. And of course, you know, that's disgusting. Uh, the inherently bossy and nationalistic nature of these proclamations was not lost on opponents of federal power. Andrew Jackson, Jackson refused to issue a national proclamation of Thanksgiving on the grounds it would violate both the Constitution and state sovereignty. He declared that such a mood, quote, might disturb the security which religion now enjoys in the country and its complete separation from political concerns of the general government. By general government, they meant he meant federal government. And it's interesting to clarify what uh, Andrew Jackson, a true patriot, that's the man who said, you know, his greatest achievement was when he was out of office to kill the bank, you know, the, uh, the Bank of the United States, which then came back to life in the, in the, the disgusting Federal Reserve uh, banking system. Uh, that our privately owned banking uh, cartel now controls credit and, current, credit and currency in the United States, which the founders warned against. In any case, that from uh, from Andrew Jackson, that's quoted from a letter to the Synod of the, Re- Synod of the Reformed Church, June 12, 1832, reprinted in John Spencer Bassett, correspondence from Andrew Jackson, Volume 4, Washington, Carnegie Institution, 1929. Nowadays, atheists are fond of quoting this passage as if it was evidence Jackson supported a wall of separation between government institutions and religious institutions. But they missed Jackson's point, the key phrase here is general government, which in the 19th century meant federal government. Jackson assumed state governments would have days of prayer and thanksgiving. Jackson was opposed to any federal proclamation on the matter. For Jackson, pushing National Union with holidays and proclamations was an abuse of federal power. Few of the few other presidents have shared Jackson's scruples over the matter. However, issuing proclamations of prayer and thanksgiving has become routine for U.S. presidents, especially during times of crisis. Times of crisis when governments tend to consolidate their power. 
social and economic changes back to McMackin's piece. The proclamations themselves may have been heavily political, but the way the holiday was celebrated has evolved more naturally. Gains in standard of living, for example, helped increase the focus on families at Thanksgiving feasts. In times of poverty and misfortune, the poor could not afford their own feast, and the dictates of European custom and Christian charity impelled the wealthy to invite the poor to feast with them. However, as the household became the self-sustaining unit of their life, it was better that the family should feast together rather than that the rich should invite the poor. Thus, according to Janet, Siskind, the household became the site of ritual performance in contrast to the earlier Thanksgivings, which, which were community-wide or congregational in character. Moreover, as more and more family members were leaving the family farms for cities, Thanksgiving rituals also emphasized the importance of visiting, presumably older relatives left behind. Siskind continues, by the mid-19th century, Thanksgiving had become associated with homecoming. The simple virtues of the past were merged with the return home to the rural family farm and the rural extended family. Returning home for Thanksgiving was both a metaphor and a ritual performance of solidarity, renewing or validating family ties. These rituals, however, were not practiced universally. Of course, what, what holiday is? Thanksgiving rituals continue to be hijacked for political purposes. The decline of these spontaneous celebrations, perhaps similar to today's informal neighborhood-based Halloween rituals, did not happen by accident. It was helped along by activists, often reformers in the mold of later pietists, to universalize the middle-class Thanksgiving rituals that had grown up around many families. These efforts had a distinctly political motivation behind them. Writer and editor Sarah Joseph Josepha Hale, for example, pushed for a national holiday and for adoption of Thanksgiving rituals designed to emphasize both national unity and Hale's brand's religious morality. Meanwhile, the growing public schools, which were basically government schools, were harming, were hammering home a national creation myth about pilgrim settlers in New England. And again, I would point out uh, Chuck Baldwin did not go, uh, did not start his original Thanksgiving proclamation with anything, anything related to Plymouth. By the 1920s, it appears that Thanksgiving rituals we now recognize had become both widespread and well-established. In spite of the best efforts of the reformers, though, ordinary Americans, the middle and working classes, were never quite won over to Thanksgiving as an exercise, exercise in national piety. In the 1890s, football games had become integrated into Thanksgiving celebrations. Uh, this irreverent ritual was further helped along when radio and television allowed for the viewing of football games from home. Sound familiar? Fewer games were played, but more viewers could enjoy the games from their living rooms. Thanksgiving, of course, is not an actual religious holiday, regardless of presidents commanding us to thank the deity in the government-prescribed fashion. It's a sign of social health that so many for so long have been more interested in beer and sports than reciting government-inspired platitudes. And uh, there's some truth to that. Moreover, for many Americans, I mean, the focus should be on God, but obviously, uh, for those who aren't believers, you should not worship the state. <laughs> Moreover, for many Americans, Thanksgiving remains just a chance for a break. And this was never improved by government school teachers hurrying the children about pilgrims, Turkey, and Indians. <laughs> so interesting, interesting piece where uh, interesting contrast with Ryan McMacken's piece compared to what Chuck Baldwin stated. We can look at some secular research that should come as no surprise. I'm going to quote from one piece, How Gratitude Changes You and Your Brain. How gratitude changes you and your brain. This is from the site Greater Good. 
uh, greater good at the University of Berserkley, California, uh, by Joel Wong, uh, June 6, 2017. With the rise of managed health care, which emphasizes cost efficiency and brevity, mental health professionals, whoever they are, have had to confront the burning, this burning question, how can they help clients derive the greatest possible benefit from treatment in the shortest amount of time? Recent evidence suggests that a promising approach is to complement psychological counseling with additional activities that are not too taxing for clients, but yield high results. In my own research, we have zeroed in on one such activity, the practice of gratitude. Indeed, many studies over the past decade have found that people who consciously count their blessings, which is obviously is a, uh, you know, that's Christian phraseology, you, if you're listening to the beginning to uh, the hymn I played, count your blessings, name them one by one. Indeed, many studies over the last decade have found that people who consciously count their blessings tend to be happier and less depressed. Number one, gratitude unshackles us from toxic emotions. Two, gratitude helps even if you don't share it. Three, gratitude's benefits take time. Some of them, some take time. Some are more immediate. And four, gratitude has lasting effects on the brain. Now, I'll quote from another piece here, The Amazing Effects of Gratitude. This is from Mindful.org, The Amazing Effects of Gratitude. Practicing gratitude can have a positive effect on both body and mind. And so this piece goes on to discuss how to practice gratitude in your own life. I'm going to play a brief video. It's about three minutes from uh, PBS of all places, The Amazing Effects of Gratitude. Back in ancient Rome, the philosopher Cicero described gratitude as the mother of all virtues. This concept of being thankful has been stressed in religion and philosophy for a long time. Back in 1820, Scottish philosopher Thomas Brown defined gratitude as that delightful emotion of love to him who has conferred a kindness on us. But scientifically, gratitude doesn't qualify as a basic emotion like joy, sadness or anger. There's no universal facial expression for it. As an emotion, gratitude is a little hard to define. Today, the Oxford Dictionary defines gratitude as the quality or condition of being thankful, the appreciation of an inclination to return kindness. And we've only really started to study gratitude scientifically in the past 30 years. In a 2015 study, participants were asked to imagine how they would feel if a complete stranger saved their life. I mean, how would you feel? The participants had to rate how grateful they were to strangers who provided them with gifts of food or clothing, all while they had their brains scanned in an fMRI machine. Researchers found their ratings of gratitude positively correlated with activity in brain areas associated with fairness and value judgments. It makes sense because gratitude is often thought of as a moral emotion. There are even benefits in just noting how grateful you are. Another study asked people to write down three things that went well that day and why for one week. At the end of the week, people were slightly happier than at the beginning, and over time, their happiness scores kept improving. After one month, they were 5% happier, and after six months, 9% happier, just from one week of writing a journal. A similar study with participants with heart disease found that keeping a gratitude journal increased their heart health and quality of sleep, 
perhaps because it reduces stress. Counting your blessings quite literally makes people happier and healthier. And some people are even hardwired to be more thankful. In a recent study of 77 couples, those with a particular genetic variation that affects the secretion of oxytocin expressed more gratitude towards their partners. Oxytocin is thought to play a big role in promoting close social bonds, so gratitude is part of the glue that keeps these relationships together. So if you think it's the thought that counts, think again. Science says there's some pretty amazing benefits to our mind, body and relationships when we say those two small words. Thank you. And that PBS video, again, that was, uh, that was embedded. That was embedded in a secular article. This is going back again towards a piece by Stephanie Platka, dated July 26, 2019. I mean, yeah, July 26, 2019 in mindful.org. She goes on to say, define what's gratitude. Robert Edmonds, psychology professor and gratitude researcher at the University of California, Davis, explains that there are two key components of practicing gratitude. One, we affirm the good things we received. We affirm the good things we've received, and two, we acknowledge the role other people play in providing our lives with goodness. We acknowledge the role other people play in providing our lives with goodness. It's only in the past few decades that researchers have started to investigate how we benefit from expressing gratitude and paying it forward. In one study, researchers examined the brains of participants who were asked how grateful they would feel in hypothetical scenarios where complete strangers saved their lives. Practicing gratitude can potentially have a positive impact on our mental health over time. They found that when participants report those grateful feelings, the brain showed activity in a set of regions located in the medial prefrontal cortex, an area in the frontal lobes of the brain where the two hemispheres meet. This area of the brain is associated with understanding other people's perspectives, empathy, and feelings of relief. Due to this, practicing gratitude can potentially have a positive impact on our mental health over time. And then she goes on to say a simple way to practice gratitude. You can strengthen your capacity for gratitude by keeping a gratitude journal. You can do this once a week or as often as you feel the desire to. Here's how. Write down up to five things for which you feel grateful. The physical record is important. Just don't do this exercise in your head. The things you list can be relatively small in importance the tasty sandwich I had for lunch today, or relatively large, my sister gave birth to a healthy baby boy. The goal of the exercise is to remember a good event, experience, person or thing in your life, then enjoy the good emotions that come with it. Studies have found that keeping a gratitude journal can lead to improvements in mood, health, and overall outlook in life. Now, ultimately, as a, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, this research uh, may appear new to these people, but uh, it's rather foundational in Scripture, both the Old and New Testament. It's foundational in Scripture. I'm going, to read, I'm going to read the entire psalm. That's 26 verses, Psalm 136. Translation I'll be reading from is the New American Standard. And it mentions a word, a loving kindness in Hebrew, that would be said. It's kind of difficult to translate that exactly, loving 
kindness. The King James and the New King James translate that word mercy. The Holman Christian Standard Bible and the NIV translate it love. And uh, really a scholarly translation, New English translation, that Bible translates it loyal love. It's difficult to give it a one-word translation. That's why NASB comes out with loving kindness as opposed to mercy. Psalm 136, New American Standard. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who alone does great wonders, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the heavens with skill, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who made the great lights, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The sun to rule by day, for his loving kindness is everlasting. The moon and stars to rule by night, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who smote the Egyptians in their firstborn, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And brought Israel out from their midst, for his loving kindness is everlasting. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who divided the Red Sea asunder, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his loving kindness is everlasting. But he overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his loving kindness is everlasting. To him who smote great kings, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And slew mighty kings, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And Og, king of Bashan, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And gave their land as a heritage, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Even a heritage to Israel his servant, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Who remembered us in our low estate, for his loving kindness is everlasting, and has rescued us from our adversaries, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Who gives food to all flesh, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his loving kindness is everlasting. 26 verses, you see 26 times that phrase repeated, for his, God's loving kindness, or his mercy is everlasting. There's many psalms you could look at that stress the acts of God. Technically, praise is thanking God for his being, his attributes, who he is. And thanks, technically, would be uh, appreciation, gratitude expressed for what he has done. Obviously, they're intimately related. Uh, If a person, if a believer in the Lord Jesus understands uh, part of the nature of God, they're praising the nature of God, you could not help but then also be thankful for things God has done as he reflects his nature through things he's done. You look at Psalm 107. This is in the New King James. I'll give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. Sounds familiar? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south, they wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way. They found no city to dwell in, hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted in them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. 
and he delivered them out of their distresses, and he led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to, to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. He catch that in verse 8. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, bound in affliction and irons, because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze, and cut the bars of iron in two. Fools, because of their transgression, and because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they, drew near, and they drew near to the gates of hell. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word and healed them, and delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness, and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving, and declare his works with rejoicing. Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the wave, the waves of the sea. They mount up to heavens, they go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like drunken men and are at their wit's end. And they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that his waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet, so he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. He turns rivers into a wilderness and the water springs into dry ground a fruitful land into barrenness for the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He turns a wilderness into pools of water and dry land into water springs. There he makes the hungry dwell that they may establish a city for a dwelling place and sow fields and plant vineyards that they may yield a fruitful harvest. He also blesses them and they multiply greatly and he does not let their cattle decrease. When they are diminished and brought low through oppression, affliction, and sorrow, he pours contempt on princes and causes them to wander in the wilderness where there is no way. Yet he sets the poor on high, far from affliction, and makes their families like a flock. The righteous seed and rejoice in all iniquity stops his mouth. Whoever is wise will observe these things, and they will understand the loving kindness of the Lord. And that was, uh, that was Psalm 107, New King James Translation. Psalm 9.1 uh, states, I will praise you, O Lord, with my whole heart. I will tell of all your wondrous works. Psalm 26, 7, that I may, may proclaim with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all your wondrous works. Psalm fifty fourteen, offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Psalm sixty nine thirty, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. Psalm 75, 1, 
We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your wondrous works. Declare that your name is near. <clears throat> Psalm 95, 2. Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Psalm 116.17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. Psalm 118, verse 1, O give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. We go into the New Testament, and uh, we could quote, we could see certain things related to Jesus that were very specific as far as thanksgiving. Uh, you may be familiar with the, multi- the miracle of multiplication of the fish and loaves, Matthew 15:36. Quote, and he took the seven loaves, the Lord Jesus, and he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them and gave them to his disciples, and the disciples gave to the multitude. So the implication there is that apart from giving thanks, it does not appear there'd be any multiplication. The miracle was intimately tied to the Lord Jesus giving thanks. Again, Matthew fifteen, thirty six, and he took and he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, broke them, and gave them to his disciples, and and the disciples gave to the multitude. Matthew twenty six, verses twenty six to twenty eight. It's in New King James. Uh, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many, for the remission of sins. So in instituting the Lord's Supper, do you see, verse 26, it says, with, Jesus took the bread, he blessed it, and broke it. And as far as the cup, he says, he took it, and he gave thanks. This is, we have Paul's commentary inspired in 1 Corinthians 11. What we see going on is that at the institution, the Lord suffered, which was Passover meal, Lord Jesus thanked God, and he was God in the flesh, God the Son, thanks God the Father, God is one Trinitarian monotheism. Uh, Jesus thanked God for the bread. He thanked them for the cup or the fruit of the vine. And that's how and communion was instituted then. First Corinthians 11, so again, you're, we're equating very clearly there, blessing with giving thanks, Okay. It sounds, blessing is even a word a lot of Christians throw around, yeah, be blessed, yeah, uh, God bless you, what, what does it mean? Okay, uh, you want to be a blessing to someone, you know, give, do something for them, and be thankful to them, okay, be thankful for them. First Corinthians 11, verse 23, for I received from the Lord, which I also, for, for I received, received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So when you compare the gospel accounts with 1 Corinthians 11, it's very clear. An integral part of communion when it was instituted was giving thanks for the element of the bread and giving thanks for the fruit of the vine. You can't escape that. John chapter 6, verse 11. Yeah, another 
talking about multiplication of miracle multiplication of uh, the loaves and the fishes. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the, the disciples to those sitting down, likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted, as much as they wanted. Again, before the miracle took place, the Lord Jesus gave thanks. Uh, a beautiful story here, very concise, is Luke seventeen eleven to seventeen. Luke Luke seventeen eleven to seventeen. Now it happened as he went, this Lord Jesus, as he went to Jerusalem, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Remember the background is that the Samaritans were hated by the Jews because they were they were half breeds. Okay? They were they were Jews that intermarried with uh, with those outside, new people that weren't Jew or Jewish. Then uh, verse 12, then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. You were leper then. Not only was it a fatal disease, but then you were completely ostracized from society. No one, no one would want to be around you. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was that as they went, they were cleansed. came miraculous healing, instantaneous. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down at his feet, at his face, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving thanks, giving him thanks. Okay, verse 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Again, the story is scandalous. The one who gave thanks was Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Were there not found, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God, except this foreigner? And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. So there's so much there. Number one, uh, the percentage of those who give thanks, ten people were miraculously healed. One and only one returned to thank the Lord Jesus for that. Furthermore, that one was a hated half-breed of Samaritan. And then do you see what Jesus says? Verse 18, were there not any found to return to give glory to God except this foreign? How do you give glory to God? Uh, part of it, an integral part of it, is by giving thanks, giving God the credit, recognizing him as the author of life. In this case, the author of miraculous healing. You can see in, in, in Acts 14, a uh, very interesting passage where uh, one of Satan's tactics was after uh, after miraculous healing that Paul was involved with when uh, when someone was healed who was lame. And uh, they wanted to basically, one of Satan's tactics then was to have the people say that they were gods. Okay, At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength, Acts 14.8. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him, had seen that he had that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he leaped up and began to walk again. Biblical healing that was miraculous was instantaneous. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lacaonian language, the gods had become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas, Zeus, and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. 
The priest of Zeus, whose temple was outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. But when the apostles Paul, Barnabas and Paul heard it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also, we are also men of the same nature as you, and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. The generations gone, as he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. And yet he did not leave himself without witness, and that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying or filling your hearts with food and gladness. So here Paul appeals to these people deeply deceived in the Greco-Roman religion. He appeals to them saying, no, we're men like you. And it was God who did give you witness, God of creation. How? In that he gave you good, gave you rains. God created rain, <laughs> rains from heaven in fruitful seasons. God makes things grow, satisfying or filling your hearts with food and gladness. So he appeals to them, saying, hey, one thing you should know is that the real God is creator. And when harvest goes well, this is God's, this is God's good hand. And a manifestation of God's grace, the true God, is you get to eat food. And that makes your heart glad. Second <laughs> uh, uh, Corinthians 9, verse 10. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. The administration of the service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. While, through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men, and by their prayer for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Paul basically says, not only not only is you know, one set of believers basically helping another out in a tangible way with money uh, because people needed money for for food during a famine, basically says another good thing, aside of the fact that people then profit from that, the tangible, tangible aspect, he goes, the other thing is that also it abounds through many, many thanksgivings to God. So in other words, when one group of Christians helped out another group of Christians, the other thing that was also, that was also positive is that that caused Christians that received it to give thanks to God, and God was pleased with that. Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. A lot of Christians are very good at making requests, but uh, the void of thanksgiving, uh, there's not too much basis in Scripture. God's going to hear, hear those prayers. Colossians three seventeen. whatever you do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 1 Thessalonians five eighteen. in everything. Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. First Timothy chapter two. Political implications here in the Bible. Therefore I exhort first of all the supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Did you catch that? 
uh, giving of thanks be made for all men. And Paul singles out kings and all who are in authority. Why? Give thanks for them. And why? So that, that we, the Christians, could lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. As acceptable in the sight of God, who desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Hebrews thirteen fifteen. Therefore by him, God, let us, Lord Jesus, therefore by him let us continue, continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. The sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Name of Lord Jesus, he's Savior, Savior of our sins. That's the only name that will count in eternity. That's the only, that's the only name uh, because that is the only person, the man God, who can save you from your sins. If you're not thankful, uh, number one, if you're a believer, you'd say it's a sin. If you're not a believer, that's a sin. For the believer, the problem should be easier to fix because it's so clear in the Bible. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Uh, the Bible doesn't teach faith in faith. It teaches faith in the Lord Jesus. Your faith is only as strong as this object. There's no greater object. There's no other ultimate object for your faith that should be except for God himself, as, as expressed in the Lord Jesus, the God-man, the only one who is sinless, became man, remained God, and died so that we who are sinners, that exchange could take place and deserve hell, could receive eternal life. Because Christ absorbed, he paid that sacrifice. Uh, the theological word is propitiation. God had wrath. Uh, God righteously has wrath against all people due to their sin. But that wrath was satisfied in Christ. God's wrath was satisfied in Christ. Then the exchange takes place. Okay. The exchange takes place. He who was sinless bore the penalty of the sins of the world. So that when individuals realize that they're sinners and they trust Christ, then God sees Christ, Christ, Christ righteousness in them. Exchange takes that as justification. Justification. Then you declare righteous in God. It all starts out with realizing you're a sinner. If you're lost, you need Christ. It will make a huge difference now and, of course, in eternity. Uh, if you aren't expressing gratitude to anything, you're probably a very miserable person. So you have to realize first off that God created you, and then you have to realize Christ came to redeem you. When you do that, if you trust Christ, he'll change you now and forever. And you can start being thankful. Have genuine gratitude. Recognize any blessings that people give you, ultimately manifestation of God, since he gave everyone life. All life originates with God. There's only one race, the human race. You've been listening to KRP Radio Show last hour, last Friday night of the month with your guest host, Rocco P. Once again, I thank Pudge Miller for the opportunity to use his platform. I will hope to be back next month, which looks like December 27th, the last Friday night of the month. Thank you again for listening to KIRP Radio Show. Have a great night and week. KIRP Radio!